May we open our Bibles, please, to Psalm 90. The last verse. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us, yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. The 90th Psalm is a psalm that is frequently used on occasions such as this, the first of the year. It is one of the great beloved psalms of the Bible. It is not a psalm of David. It is a psalm of Moses. And Moses gave this to the children of Israel. And we have it now to be a blessing to us as we enter 1967. I've been preaching to you from the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of Moses, it is called. And I was led into it because of the emphasis in Deuteronomy upon the fatherless and upon the orphans, the widows. And I've been preaching to you Sunday after Sunday now for about six, seven weeks on the great prophecy of Moses. Moses was called the man of God. Moses was the man whom God spake face to face. Moses was a gift from God to his enslaved people in Egypt. And under the leadership of this man, God led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage in the Exodus. And Moses was used of God as his spokesman throughout all their wilderness wanderings for 40 years. But one thing that Moses did in that journey was a great sin and a great offense against God. And though God forgave Moses, and Moses was pardoned of the sin, God told Moses that he would not permit him to see the land by going into it or setting foot upon it. It's one of the most pathetic things in Scripture, that a man dedicates his entire life, spends all of his years, his great calling is that he shall lead them out into the land of Canaan, the land of promise, but because of something he did back here. He struck a rock. The people were impetuous. The people were blaming him. The people were crying out against him because they wanted water. And they were saying that we should go back to Egypt where we can have some leek and some garlic. 
And Moses struck that rock and he gave them the water and he did it in his own name. He did it in his own power, at least. He said he'd give it to them. And beloved, you don't dare. You don't dare. Take the powers of God. Claim they're yours. You don't dare lay your hand upon this great gospel of our Savior and in any way claim it's yours or trifle with it. And so we have the beautiful story that as Moses came near the land and his eye was not dimmed, his mind was bright and clear, Moses had the Lord say, Come, Moses, I want you to go up here on the mountain, Ebo, and Took him up to the top of the mountain and he says, now look to the north, look to the south, and look yonder across the range to the great sea, the Mediterranean. And that's the land I promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob that I would give it to them. And then we read that the Lord took Moses and over in the book of Jude, we find that there was a fight over his body by some of the archangels. But Moses gave way to a younger man by the name of Joshua. He laid his hands on him. His wisdom, his spirit was on Joshua. And Joshua led them into the land of Canaan. But when you look over what the Bible has to say about Moses, there's so tremendously important references about Moses. The law came by Moses, grace and truth by Jesus Christ. Had you believed Moses, you'd believe me. And if you believe not Moses and the prophets, neither will you believe the one we raised from the dead. Jesus Christ put his seal of approval upon the words and the writings of Moses. And when you turn over into the book of Acts and you have the preaching of the evangelist in that great seventh chapter of the book of Acts where Stephen is making his mighty speech at the end of which he was stoned because of it. He gives you this great survey of Moses' life from the time he was in the bulrushes and the time he slew the Hebrew and the time he went into Pharaoh's household, the time he was called and he gives the whole story and it's the midst of that seventh chapter of the book of Acts that under divine inspiration we have a tie-in with the statement of Moses in Deuteronomy 18 which is utterly magnificent. And will you all turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. And I want you to see this magnificent testimony here to Moses as it's contained under divine inspiration in the evangelist. This is New Testament preaching. This is the kind of evangelism that wins men to Christ and establishes their faith. And in verse 37 we read, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hearken. This is he 
that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the, li the lively oracles to give unto us to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. Beloved, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament was Jesus Christ. And it was this angel that appeared unto Moses and called Moses to be the great leader, and Moses was under the guidance and the authority of Jesus Christ. This is that Moses that said, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto thee like unto me. Unto him shall ye hearken. And this is the one who was in the church in the wilderness. He is the one who was the angel of the Lord. And here's the Christ of the New Testament, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, and the captain of the Lord of hosts as we come into the book of Joshua. He's always there, our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, leading, commanding, directing, sustaining, keeping his people. When you turn over to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, there's more about the faith of Moses in the 11th chapter of Hebrews than any other individual in that chapter. Will you turn, please, to the 11th chapter of the epistle of Hebrews? And here in this great section on the heroes of the faith, we have these various references to Abraham. There's three of them. We have these references to Jacob. We have these other references. But when you come down to Moses, there are at least five references of faith, five references of faith relative to Moses. Notice verse 23, and I'll read you this section now. Hebrews 11:23. By faith, Moses when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. By faith, here it is, beloved, by faith Moses made his personal decisions. It was by faith that he left Egypt. It was by faith he kept the Passover. It was by faith he passed through the Red Sea. And there are more references to the faith of Moses than any other individual referred to in the great chapter on faith in Hebrews 11. Here was the man of faith. Here was the man who had a word from God. 
Here was the man who recognized the coming of this great prophet like unto himself. And then when our Savior came and he said, If you believe not Moses, neither will you believe my word. If you won't accept his writings, you won't accept the words that fall from my lips. And it was our Savior said, If you won't believe Moses, and if you won't believe the prophets, neither will you believe though one was raised from the dead, and Jesus Christ was that one who was raised from the dead. And if you will believe that Christ was raised from the dead, and that faith is in your heart, for if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And it's this faith which God has given us that enables us to see the writings of Moses and that enables us to delight in the word of our God. Now you can understand the 90th Psalm. And let's turn to it. the 90th Psalm. And in this great Psalm, you have a beautiful summary of the whole ministry and everything that Moses sought to do. But it has an application in it that comes directly to Collingswood, New Jersey on Sunday morning, January 1st, 1967. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. This is the new year. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Now in the analysis of this great psalm, there are two major things. First is the great emphasis upon God and his wrath. Second, the great emphasis upon man and his frailty. Both run through the psalm. And finally, when you get down to the end of this tremendous emphasis upon God's wrath, man's frailty, the psalmist cries out with one great burst of emotion, one great expression of all that there is about him, all that there is in his being and his nature, and he says, Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy. Mercy is what we need. Mercy is what we must have. Mercy will deliver us. Mercy, Lord. Grant mercy to us who are here on this earth in the midst of this darkness and under the wrath that has been pronounced upon nature. Now will you begin reading with those words? Verse 14. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad. The only way you folks can begin to rejoice is if God has some mercy on you. The only way you people can ever talk about being glad is that if God comes in and makes you glad. The only way 
that you and I can see our circumstances changed, our destiny altered, and our future have some light and hope in it, is that God will come down and do it for us. And so Moses gives this magnificent testimony, and beginning with verse 14, he says, Oh, satisfy us. Or, Lord, we, just, we must eat out of your hand. We must take the word from your mouth. We can receive the water of life as only thou canst dispense it. And we must come to God. That's the 90th Psalm. Now let's look for just a moment at the part that deals with God and his wrath. We'll look briefly at the part that deals with man and his weakness and his frailty. And then I'd like to spend the rest of the time on the works of our hands, which we'd like to see established. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God greatness, the majesty, the eternity, the grandeur of God is all that Moses sees. Moses met with him face to face. Moses received the Ten Commandments from his hand as he engraved them on the tablets of stone. And the closer you get to God, beloved, the greater our God is. God is a spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. I read this week an editorial in one of the papers here that said that 1966 would be known above all things as the year of the moon. And they went on to say that in 1966, we'd made our journeys to the moon. The Russians have gone up there twice. We've been up there about three times. And we've come back with the picture of the face of the moon, and man's going to be able to walk around it. And they say it's not going to be very long now until man will make tourist visits to the moon, and people will bring back their pictures and then some samples of the clay that's there, and we're opening up a whole new world. And 1966 is to the moon what the years just immediately before 1492 when they discovered America. And I read that editorial, and here was the unbelievers thinking that we're going to have tourist flights back and forth to the moon, and we're going to gather up the dirt and bring its riches down here, and what a time we're going to have with the new moonshine. What a world it's going to be when we come back from out there. Oh, beloved, when you stand in the presence of what Moses says here, from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. A man talks about his little planets and his little uh, platforms he's going to put in space and we're going to do all this sort of thing. Oh, beloved, man's reaching out and God says, just wait till the resurrection day and I'll literally fill those heavens with a new race and a new creation and with men who have a body that won't be bothered with the substance of the moon or of this present earth. It'll be a body that's incorruptible, a body that's powerful. And I'll give everyone that I've redeemed 
the image of my Son, and we shall be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come to the opening of this great 90th Psalm, Moses just takes back the vistas of eternity, and he says, this is the God who has been from everlasting to everlasting, and he must be our dwelling place. In him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. And I tell you, beloved, when our forefathers wrote on the coins of this realm in which you and I live, in God we trust, they had a concept of God which is being lost by our generation. And then Moses proceeds here as he speaks about this great God, and he says, now look at man. Look at him. God says to man, you're under destruction. I can't understand why our men today and our liberals and these modernists and all these thinkers somehow think that there's something good in man. Somehow they think that there's something here they can work with. Beloved, there's not anything in us. We're depraved. We're under a condemnation. We're under a curse. And Moses says here, Thou sayest, return, ye children of man. You can't move an inch. You can't get up and go any place. Ye are of the dust, and unto the dust shalt thou return. And as you read through these verses here, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are like the sleep in the morning. They are like grass that groweth up in the evening. It is cut down and it withereth. Here's eternity. Here are the centuries. Here's our God. And here we come up here and we live our lives as a tale that is told. And all you have when you get finished on the tombstone is the date you arrived and the date you left and that's about all they're interested in hearing about. Oh, how frail. Oh, how weak. Oh, how helpless we are. And Moses recognizes all of this. And we come down to verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. The years of our days are threescore years and ten and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength and their labor and there's labor and there's labor and there's sorrow and there's disappointment and there's frustration and there's tragedy and there's death. For it's soon cut off and we fly away. We fly away. Oh, if we can just bring you people to the realization, if we bring our intellectuals to the realization, if it bring these men that boast in the learning and the knowledge of man to the realization that they are but dust and they are frail. And what hast thou, O man, that thou hast not received? And why does the thing that was formed say unto him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Moses brings us directly into the presence of the wrath of God that's cursed this old earth and brought such ruin and such disaster to it. And why is it this way? It's under a curse. It's under a judgment. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. 
and in the sweat of thy brows you shall spend all the days of your life down here. And Moses is telling us here that we're under a curse, nature's under a curse, man's under a curse, and the only reason why we're certain to die is that a curse has been pronounced upon us. The wages of sin is death. Oh, the preaching on every hand today is so shallow, it's so superficial, it doesn't get down to the realities that you and I must face and that we must look to when we come to the changing of the years. And after Moses describes these conditions for us so beautifully here, he then turns now in the last place and he says, Teach us to number our days. Lord, tell me, Lord, how frail I am. Let me understand, Lord, that the reality of my days and my years and my frailty, and Lord, you come in and take my life. You come in and give me knowledge and wisdom. You come in and give me strength and power. You come in, God. Come and take possession of me. And may I truly be able to say that I must decrease, but he must increase. And now we come to the last part, and this is what I want to develop with you. Verse 16, let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Lord, we're interested in your work. That's all. Nothing else. We're interested that when we do your work, it will last a while. We're interested that the children who come along behind us, they'll see this work and they'll recognize that it is the work of God. That's what we're interested in. Now let's break that down just a little bit, if we may. And I want to give you at least three things that are obviously in it. They're beautiful here. Let thy work appear unto thy servant. Well, so far as Moses was concerned, the greatest work that God had done for them was bring them out of Egypt. God had delivered them with a high and a mighty hand with mighty miracles, and he delivered them out of Egypt. And when you read the book of Deuteronomy and you get up further into the Old Testament to go back, look what God did, look what God did, look what God did, look what God did. He led them by a high hand and he held his word before them and gave them his commandments for them to obey. And beloved, the greatest work that God has done for you and me, to put it just as plain as anything can be, he saved us. He saved us. He has given unto us this message which has come from his blessed word. And out of this word and out of the prophets and out of the apostles and out of our Savior, he has come into this awful place of sin and ruin and misery. And he has come to save our souls. He has come to deliver us from bondage. He has come to pardon our iniquity. He has come to give us the life that is in his Son, 
That is what he has come to do. One of the things about this new confession that, well, you hear it everywhere today. We must, uh, we must uh, speak in the language which our modern scientific world will understand. We must uh, readjust uh, our terminology and our language so that we can reach the modern mind. We hear it on every hand. Beloved, you don't readjust God. You don't readjust the gospel. You don't readjust sin. You don't readjust death. You don't readjust heaven. You don't readjust hell. You don't readjust these things for the modern mind. The modern mind is just as full of sin and pride and haughtiness and blasphemy as any other mind has been in times past. And all of this business that we must change the church and change the message and change the approach is a part of the strategy that has simply been imported to turn people away from the revelation which will save their souls and give them eternity with the Almighty God. And so Moses says, let thy work appear. I think one of the emphasis that you're going to find in this pulpit in 1967 is going to be an emphasis upon the church. The church. We are the people of God. We're the people of faith. But God has ordained that he shall have a bride, that he shall have a body, that he shall have a people. And now this people meet for worship. This people meet to maintain a testimony. This people meet in the name of their God and they lift up their standards. And now we've got this new confession of 67 which is taking out from under the church the foundations which it used to have. And think of a building having all of its foundations taken out from under it. And we are now confronted with a, a, an hour when the people of God have got to stop and realize that so far as the Christian church is concerned, they must help build it. They must help preserve it. They must help maintain it. They must be a part of the church of Christ upon this earth. And they must be separate from all the camouflages. They must be separate from all the inclusive work that's been designed for everybody with any belief or any idea that can come together and we'll have some kind of a dialogue in that organization. Oh, beloved, the work of God is in our redemption and the work of God is in building and maintaining the church of his beloved son. And in this work which you and I are related to, we must see everything in its proper perspective and its proper focus if we're going to number our days, if we're going to apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now may I say several things to you in this regard in re on a New Year's message and a New Year's Day? Would you kindly tell me 
how you and I can possibly build anything without the help of God. I've been asked over and over again, Dr. McIntyre, I go out, I see people, they say, Dr. McIntyre, would you kindly explain to us what's the secret of your church? I've had that asked me over and over again. What's the secret of your church? Do you know the answer I give? I always give it. have no hesitancy in saying the secret of my church. My church, your church, our church, is built upon the Word of God. That's all. The only thing that keeps this church, the only thing that holds this church, the only thing that brought you people to this church, the only thing that keeps you people in this church, the only thing that makes this church the blessing it is today is that you hear the Word of God preached. And this Word will keep any church. It will build any people. And it's the only thing that will do it. That's all. And my great task is I stand here and preach to you as a dying man to dying men is that you will come into the knowledge of the word of God. That you will believe all that God has been pleased to put in this book for your soul and for your eternal destiny. And that you will rejoice in the mighty commandments which God has laid upon us in this book. Oh, this great psalm closes... And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Isn't it beautiful when God gives us $300,000? I'd say the beauty of the Lord's on us. Isn't it beautiful when God takes our little church here and lets its name be known throughout the whole world as a Bible-preaching missionary church? Isn't it beautiful when we're on short wave right now and this voice that you're hearing can be heard in a missionary home in Kenya today? Isn't it beautiful? Oh, the beauty that the Lord has laid upon us. And Mr. Jim Shaw is leaving tomorrow, and he and two or three of our men are going over to West Africa, and they're taking a missionary private plane, and they're going to start out, and they're going to visit all these lands, all through that Western Africa for the next few weeks, flying over the jungles, landing down here, meeting these little church groups, speaking to these little church groups. And, oh, beloved, they are going in there with the most beautiful purpose, the most beautiful undertaking. And they'll find these national leaders and these church leaders there who in the Swahili or the French or whatever dialect it is, they believe this Bible. And they say, yes, thanks for coming. We'll stand with you. We'll help you. We'll be a group in these last days that will let everybody know that we put our loyalty to Christ above every earthly consideration and every material gain. And you know what the Lord says? I think sometimes that these parents who say to me, I've got to take care of my children. I can't come. If you will put the Lord where he belongs in your life, he'll take care of your children for you. He takes care of their hearts. You can't do that. You can take care of their bodies, but you can't take care of their little hearts. And the heart is in the hand of the Lord. Oh, 1967, what we have, the responsibilities, the opportunities. But this church, and you and I, must build it. 
by the grace of God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank thee for this New Year's message. We thank thee that it is a message that cuts across many lines and across many hearts. And oh, bless it. Bless it, Lord, for Christ's sake. Amen.